Hey everybody, welcome back here to episode number five of Metabolic Health Secrets. We're almost finished section number one. Remember, if you've seen the screenshot that goes, the graphics that goes with this series, there are three sections, and inside each section are six episodes, and the episodes are of varying lengths. So if this is the first episode you've listened to, my name is Shane Stubbs. I'm the host and the creator of the podcast series, The New Science of Physical Health, listened to in over 85 countries and thousands of cities, all created in the last two years, based on my career of being a health and physical education teacher in Australian schools since way back. I can't even believe I'm saying this. I never can believe I'm going to say this when I do. Way back in 1985 is when I kicked off that. And my last decade of working with, consulting with, and interviewing over 100 PhDs from all of these different disciplines related to things like cardiology, exercise, physiology, oncology, all the ologies. Oncology is cancer. Um, Molecular biology, cognitive neuroscience, public health, medicine, open heart surgeon that I interviewed. The list goes on. I've really got a, a wide range of people that I've spent time interviewing, working with, consulting with, doing some projects on with some of them so that I can take their complex medical research and do one thing, turn it into simple lessons. That's all I want to do. So let's get into metabolic health secrets. A refresher from the last episode, particularly if you haven't listened to it. I want to want to mention metabolic syndrome. It's a condition made up of at least three of these five things. A large waistline, high triglyceride level, a reduced good HDL cholesterol. Remember, there's two major types. I'm not going to go into this in depth of cholesterol. You may have even heard of it, good and bad. HDL cholesterol stands for high-density lipoprotein. That's a good one because it's small and it sticks to the bad cholesterol, LDL, low-density lipoprotein, and HDL drags it out of your body. So if you've got low levels of HDL cholesterol, that's not a good thing. Increased blood pressure and elevated fasting blood sugar. If you have three of those five things, then you have been diagnosed or should be diagnosed by your doctor with something called metabolic syndrome. Today's episode, what we're going to look at is a health, a metabolic health secret. So I've put this title in my notes. What is the metabolic health secret in this episode, episode number five? Here's what it is. Rely on data-driven evidence in the age that I call Netflix, Uber, Google, and screens. Because in that era that we now live in, you can make anything look real. So I want to start this episode by looking at a peer-reviewed published medical research paper. And here is the title. By the way, as we go through this episode, it completely relates to the metabolic health secret that I just mentioned. Rely on data-driven evidence. Because in the age of Netflix, Uber, Google, and screens, that's just a euphemism for the world that the connected screen world that we live in these days, you can make anything look real. 
You can say anything you want on the internet and it can take hold and all of a sudden 5 million people believe something that's not a fact. I won't get into that because that'll open up a can of worms. But let's look at a peer-reviewed published medical research paper. Here's the title. And if you've been following the series, you'll see how this relates to metabolic health secrets. The title of the paper is this, a handheld metabolic device called a Lumen to measure fuel utilization in healthy young adults, a device validation study. So on this study are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight different professors, eight different PhDs. Now, I won't mention all of the PhDs that that have helped put this paper together. One of them I will talk about because you're going to hear from them in their own voice, Professor Kent A. Lorenz. And in the the research paper here, because I get research delivered to my inbox every day, my email inbox, this is Professor Kent Arnold Lorenz. You'll hear from him later on in this episode. So let me just talk about, I'll go through some of what this paper is. The abstract, metabolic carts, this is the background, metabolic carts measure the carbon dioxide produced and oxygen consumed by an individual when breathing to assess metabolic fuel usage. What does that mean? Is your body using carbohydrates or is it using fats for energy? Just to do a little bit more background that's not actually in the notes, when you eat any food item, whether it's fresh produced, like fresh, like um, grown in the ground or recently recently living, that's what I call fresh, then there's three macronutrients that I've been teaching for um, since 1985. Fats, carbohydrates, and protein. Protein is not used by the human body as a fuel source. Carbohydrates are and fats are. If your body is burning carbohydrates predominantly, it's very easy to get overweight and what you might consider as being so overweight that's in the obese category. And that's why we have the problem that we have because too many people's bodies are using um, carbohydrates as their fuel source, but they don't know that. So the Lumen device, if you've been following this series, is a device that has shrunk the metabolic cart that I first saw back in the 1980s at university in the 1990s. You turn up to a lab. So I studied at Canberra University, and across the road is the Australian Institute of Sport. Now, if you live in Australia, you know what that is. But if you don't, it's basically created in 1981, so four years before I got to university, to, and it was our, um, the Australian Olympic Centre. The goal of this whole complex is massive. Scientists, athlete centres, it's just huge. It's a, the Australian government's response to the complete failure we had to win any medals at the 1980 Moscow Olympics. So the Australian Institute of Sport is really the Australian Olympic Centre for Excellence. So I studied literally across the road from this centre. And we would go across the the Australian Institute of Sport to the exercise physiology lab. Unbeknownst to me, I'll get to know this person later in life, but 
Pro, um, Professor Richard Telford was the head of exercise physiology and went on between 1981 and 2005 when he left the Australian Institute of Sport and became a childhood physical activity researcher. He has a PhD in exercise physiology and also has a background. He has a degree in health and physical education like me before he became a PhD in exercise phys. Professor Telford was the head of the exercise physiology department from 1981 to 2005 at the Australian Institute of Sport. He's got more awards for coaching athletes to gold medals in Australian, Olympic gold medals in Australian history than anyone else that's ever been. And I've got to know Professor Telford as I've become an adult. He's a great guy, just one of the nicest, most authentic human beings I have ever had the opportunity to meet. So we turn up to university, there'd be these things called metabolic carts, literally half the size of a piano. And these systems measure whether your body's burning carbohydrates or fats as a fuel source. Really important if you're an athlete, especially an endurance athlete. And Professor Telford, he coached or helped coach Australia's world record holder for the men's marathon, a guy called Robert DiCastella, who I also got to know, fortunately, through my work when I was employed at the National Heart Foundation of Australia, Robert DiCastella had finished marathon running. He'd become the world champion, came fourth in the Olympic Games, and was a world record holder in the men's marathon. And Professor Telford helped coach him. So I got to know Rob also, just the loveliest man. And he needed to know whether his body was burning carbohydrates or fats as a fuel source when he was training and competing in the men's marathon. I used to watch him train on the track when they were doing, well, they were doing, they called it um, their short course training. So back in the 1980s, Robert DiCastella would lead this team of runners. They turn up to a track. They do these, this would be their training session. I can't remember how many hours. I remember sitting there watching it because I knew at that stage that Rob was the world marathon champion because he, he achieved that in 1983 in Boston and it was now 1985 at Canberra University where I started studying there. I didn't get to know him until the early 90s and I'd watch him and his training group. They would do a 25, they would do a 400-meter run and then they, I think they would walk for 200 metres. So when I say run, they'd be running hard one lap of the track, walk something like walk 200 metres and then run another 400 metres and walk 200 metres and run another 400 metres. And they did that 25 times. And that was their short course training. Oh, my goodness, it blew my mind. But it was really good to watch the world record holder in the men's marathon, right in front of my eyes, perform his training. It was because I was right into track and field. Anyway, back to this. That's a different story. Back to this. So we turn up to university, there'd be these metabolic carts, and they would measure carbon dioxide coming out of your mouth. You put this mask on, and they measure the carbon dioxide coming out and the oxygen consumed. However, these systems are expensive. They're half the size of a piano. They're time-consuming because you've got to go into the sports science laboratory, and they're only available now in things like hospitals and clinics and sports science labs. So the Lumen device 
is a shrink, a shrunk down version. Is that such a, am I saying it the right way? Of a metabolic carb into something that literally fits in your pocket. So it's a small handheld device capable of determining metabolic fuel usage via carbon dioxide from exhaled, exhaled air that you can use throughout the day by pulling it out of your pocket, Bluetoothing it to the app on your phone, and it measures, is your body burning fat as a fuel source, which that's a very important goal when it comes to reducing your risk of metabolic syndrome. Metabolic syndrome directly leads to cardiovascular events, things like heart attacks and strokes and the like, the number one cause of sickness, disease, and death. So the objective of this study was to evaluate the validity of this handheld device, the Lumen device, for measuring metabolic fuel utilization in healthy young adults. Now, this article goes through the methods and it goes through a whole bunch of different things about glucose consumption and the grams and um, something called the um, the RER, uh, which is the respiratory. I did put this down and I think I've, uh, here it is, the RER, the respiratory exchange ratio. It's a sports science term we use. Uh, and it's the ratio between the metabolic production of carbon dioxide and the uptake of oxygen. And the ratio is determined by comparing exhale gases. So here's the results of this study. That lumen device, the percentage of carbon dioxide, significantly increased after glucose intake. So anything that you eat with sugar or carbohydrates. So I won't go into the differences between complex and simple, but anything you eat with carbohydrates, this Lumen device showed a fantastic correlation compared with fasting conditions. So what they're able to do in this study, the conclusion shows the validity of the Lumen device for detecting changes in metabolic fuel utilization in a comparable manner with the laboratory standard metabolic cart, these things that I was going to, not going to, what we did use in university in our sports science days. But now I'm not so interested in using it for sports performance. I'm 56 years old, but I'm excited to use it for health purposes because I want real-time information on a daily basis that's validated means it's real. Remember, that's the metabolic health secret here. Use real data-driven evidence. I want that to determine, is my body burning fat? So I don't become overweight, obese, and I spend as much time in developing something called metabolic flexibility, the capacity for my body to switch from burning carbohydrates as a fuel source back to burning fats because that's what will help drive down metabolic syndrome and the linear correlation with driving down, helping to drive down, assisting to drive down my risk of cardiovascular events, the number one cause of sickness, disease, and death. So that's the first part of the metabolic health circuit in today's episode. Now, let me do this. I want to go through some of the details of the lead professor on this research paper. So whenever you read a medical research paper, which is not everybody's bag, I get that, but it is mine, 
The first person listed is the professor who is the chair of that paper. They're responsible for its final production. Now, as I've already mentioned, there are several different professors that have contributed to this particular publication, not just one person. So let me talk about the chair, the person. I want to go through with you, which I touched on in the last episode, but now I'm going to do it in more detail. And it's such a coincidence. I can't, I cannot believe how much of a coincidence that the chair of this particular research paper is in my field of study. And I had no idea. When I started looking at metabolic health secrets, I had no idea that this person was in this situation. So here we go. Professor Kent A. Lorenz is an associate professor of physical education and physical activity at in the Department of Kinesiology at San Francisco State University. So literally 16,000 miles away from me. I've actually been to San Francisco, got a friend who lives there, driven straight past the San Francisco University. And so here we are, Professor Lorenz. He's in my field, physical education. Now, he's got a PhD. He's got a PhD in kinesiology, and I think he mentions it in the audio that's about to come up. Oh, here we go in the notes. He's completed a PhD in physical education, so I've got a Bachelor of Education, and he's got a graduate certificate in statistics from Arizona State University along with a Master's of Science in Exercise Physiology from San Diego University and an undergraduate degrees in education and physical education from the University of Alberta, which I presume is in Canada. That's unbelievable. This guy has got more degrees than a thermometer. (laughs) I like to use that joke. I've had to use that one before. Now, I've never met him, but the only degree I've got is the last one, an undergraduate degree in education and physical in uh, health education and physical education, but most from Canberra University. I did not go on and do all the things that he's done. So his research interests are centered around creating, this is so cool, positive environments for physical education and physical activity in schools using the Comprehensive Schools Physical Activity Program Guidelines, which must be something from the United States because it's not part of Australia, and a behavioral ecological support framework. I could not agree with his field of interest more if I tried. Like if there were two people in the world, me as a podcaster and a health and physical education teacher who is obsessed with this field of getting people to fall in love with being physically healthy and finding a professor who wants to build behavioral ecological support frameworks to get people to do what I want to do, then like this is just the biggest serendipity of all time. So as a result of his research during his doctoral program, Professor um, Lorenz was the co-recipient of something called the inaugural Thomas L. McKenzie Outstanding Graduate Research Award from the Southwest District of Shape America. And if you're not from the United States, but you're listening to this episode, Shape America is the peak professional body for physical education teachers in the USA. I went to one of their conferences in 2018, was in Nashville, Tennessee. Blew my mind. For an Australian, an Aussie, as we like to call ourselves, um, there were 5,000 physical education and health teachers at this one conference in Nashville. 
it blew my mind. My country town that I grew up in here in Australia, it's only got 4,000 people. I've never been to any conference so big about the area that I love. So Professor Lorenz runs a research lab. He conducts researches in school settings, both during class and out-of-class physical activity opportunities. He uses systematic observation and developed an observation instrument to assess the environmental characteristics of school settings that promote and reinforce physical activity. So this is called the System for Observing Behavioural Ecology of Youth in Schools in conjunction with physical activity measures, including things like the System for Observing Play and Leisure Activity in Youth and um, pedometers, accelerometers. In addition to this, Dr. Lorenz and another person, Dr. Bagley of San Francisco from State University as well, are in the process of creating a strength lab to improve the instructional characteristics of new kinesiology professionals and measure physical and muscular changes in response to resistance training. So he's got a lot of projects. He's currently collaborating, it says here, with researchers at Arizona State University to investigate comprehensive school physical activity programs and conceptual physical education. Uh, as a faculty member of San Francisco State University, he's also de- he is also, sometimes Aussies we speak too fast, he's also developing research projects in cooperation with the San Francisco Unified School District to increase physical activity opportunities within and outside of class time. Now, I've put a call out to interview Professor Lorenz. I've sent an email off to his university address. Haven't heard back from him. He's a little bit busy at the time of recording. Maybe by the time you're listening to this, he has got back to me. I can't wait to interview this guy. This is so far in my wheelhouse, it's not funny. It's everything that I've done for 37 years and some of the conclusions that I've reached, he's actually putting into practice, into research. And it even says here, this is what I like about dealing with today's metabolic health seeker, about using real data-driven evidence because in this internet age, you can make anything look real. And I can tell you now, there are tons and tons and tons and tons of stuff that's not real. But the thing I like about someone like Dr. Lorenz, he works with a team of professors. So it says he's fortunate to work with Dr. Claudia uh, Gadez, I can't remember, I don't know if I've pronounced that correctly. Dr. Jihan Lee, Dr. Dr. Jimmy Bagley, Dr. Nicole Bolter, Dr. Susan Zief at San Francisco State University. Plus, it says here he works with Dr. Han, uh, Hans van der Maas, Dr. Pamela Hodges Kalina, Dr. Barbara Ainsworth at Arist- Arizona State University, and Dr. Mel Hovel at San Diego, San Diego State University. What's phenomenal about Dr. Lorenz being the chair of this paper that I've just read here is that he operates with teams of professors. So the content that that he comes up with, it's not a one-person show. It is across the board with lots of other collaborators of people who are also at the highest level of academic research, and I love that because it supports today's metabolic health seeker. Now, after all of that, I want you to listen to about two minutes of Professor Lorenz speaking on the topic of physical health. And then I want to come back and make some commentary and wrap up this episode in relation to today's metabolic health secret. In the 20th century, it's all become about job orientation. 
we're going to train you for this job. Sure. And if, if you're working as an engineer, lifting weights probably isn't part of your job. Right. And if it's part of your job, they'll teach it to you. But if it's part of your life, you've got to figure that out on your own. So what do you say that now to the engineers? You know, I, I think if you, since we're surrounded by a lot of these tech companies here, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I can't, I don't know how many, but say you take all the engineers that are just yeah. in the San Francisco Bay Area alone, right. how many of them are, you know, sitting at their desk all day doing oh. X, Y, and Z, I mean, if complaining you, about back pain? For sure. If you, <clears throat> if you extrapolate typical physical activity trends, depending on the measurements, it's between 5 and 20% of, of American adults meet physical activity guidelines. Mm -hmm. So 1 in 20, 2 out of 10 kind of idea, so it's not great. Sure. So if you're considering all of this, and because of the nature of the tech jobs, it might even be a little bit lower. Mm -hmm. Now a lot of these companies have really good fitness facilities, but if the culture at that doesn't support that, then an individual probably isn't going to choose because their job isn't predicated on them being physically active. It's producing this number of whatevers. Right. So again, there's there's this cultural shift. And hey, I went through this phase when I was a graduate student. Mm -hmm. I had to graduate. It didn't necessarily matter how I felt sure. when I graduated. Right. But I learned that if I don't sleep and I don't exercise and I eat terrible, I can't do the work that I need. So this is where when I did my PhD, I was much more conscious of being physically active on a regular basis, mm -hmm. eating well and sleeping. Right. So sometimes it takes, unfortunately, a little bit of a catastrophe to remind people that right. it is a fixable solution. Um, companies have started to move towards more flexible work days, kind of production orientation. You don't have to be here until 5 p.m. every day. If you get your stuff done at three o'clock, great. Right. Go have a life and take care of yourself and be physically active. So right. a, lot of, a lot of places are becoming more aware. Sure. But again, there's still this kind of production culture that more is always better. Right. Except when it comes to physical activity. So there it is. That's Professor Lorenz himself speaking, interviewed by someone else. And how interesting is this? I've never met him. We live half a world away, as I mentioned earlier in this episode, on opposite sides of the globe. Yet he makes this position statement that says, you can have the world's most concentrated number of tech companies right around San Francisco University where he works. P things like Google and Facebook and Apple, places I've actually visited. I know all where they are in Palo Alto because I've been there. And they're located right near the campus of San Francisco University. Yet, think about this. He quotes only about 1 in 20 Americans meet the minimal physical activity guidelines in order to be classified as physically healthy. And that means they're not at low risk of the number one cause of sickness, disease, and death on a worldwide basis. And many of them would have developed, of those 19 who aren't meeting the minimum standard of the correct dose of physical activity, have developed metabolic syndrome, three or more of those conditions we mentioned at the top of the episode. There are two constant themes that I have running throughout this, this series and my podcast as well that's now listened to, as I said, in 85 countries and thousands of cities around the world. A, you can have the greatest education program and technology on the planet about how to be physically healthy. But if you don't create a platform to get people to fall in love with their own physical health outcomes, 
then all the work that you've done is completely useless. B, I've spent the past 37 years delivering over 40,000 lessons face-to-face and some online recently in health and physical education in Australian schools. During that time, I've been able to not only learn the science of teaching, but the art of how to hook learners to fall in love with wanting to be physically healthy. So let's wrap up this episode. What I wanted to do was take all of the complex medical research that I've been exposed to in the past decade with the now over 100 interviews and consultations I've had with PhDs from 15 different countries. These are some of the brightest minds from the disciplines like cardiology, exercise physiology, medicine, public health, molecular biology, oncology, cognitive neuroscience, and heaps more. Using what is called the art of teaching, I've created a health lab with three core components, two clinically validated health technologies, and an evidence-based learning framework made up of 18 critical diagrams and 18 critical learning skills. And I've wrapped that health lab up into a box that you can put in your hands. And I've aptly named it, I think it's aptly named, the PE Teacher's Health Lab. Now, just to clarify, it's not for PE teachers, although they're welcome to use it if they want to. It's for everybody who wants to lower their risk of metabolic syndrome and have and experience a clinical decrease in their risk of the number one cause of sickness, disease, and death in every modern country on the planet, heart attack, stroke, and more commonly known as cardiovascular events. The spillover effect is that there is clinically validated evidence to show a decrease in something called all-cause mortality. It means that if you use the two health technologies and the six learning modules inside the lab, you'll generate a linear decrease in your risk of sickness, disease, and dying from all types of chronic diseases. As I've stated many times in my series, I want the health lab, the PE teacher's health lab, to be the exact tool, the exact box that I would have given my father in 1984. That was five years before his catastrophic heart attack stole his life and took him away from us and our family when he was aged only 46 years old. It's the exact tool I would have wanted to give to my mother in 2010, five years before her life was taken from our family when she was diagnosed with a cancer event and passed away seven days later after the diagnosis. I can't go back in time. Time travel is just for the movies. But I can give it to you and the people you care about and the people you love and maybe the people you're responsible for. I do want you to discover more of the metabolic health secrets in the rest of this series. There's one more episode in section one before we go on to the next six episodes in section two and the final six episodes in section three. Thanks for joining me in today's episode. I can't wait for you to join me in the final episode of section one of this mini-series, Metabolic Health Secrets. Bye for now.